0: This is Diary of a Nation. I'm your host, Christina Zlotnick. My podcast explores the human experience. I put out a call on social media for pet stories. Some of the stories I got back are funny. Some are sad. Others aren't appropriate for children. Some are narrated by the pet owners themselves. Others by me. Because I'm the boss of this podcast, My story goes first. I remember a lot of things, like the rotary phone, my birth date, life before the microwave oven, the 8-track tape deck that blared country music in my dad's Ford pickup truck, and the thrill of the one-cent gumball machine that broke one day and spilled its contents into my child-sized, white patent leather purse as we entered the Sears department store at 21st and Yale in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I had learned to tie my shoes just 30 minutes earlier. It was a good day. But I don't remember life without a dog. First, there was Fred, the dachshund. My mother is German, and dachshunds are German. That's probably why we got one in the first place. Dachshund means badger dog in English. My brother decided to call him Fred. God invented dachshunds. He trained them to be landlords, to dig into badger dens and evict them. The Guinness Book of World Records says honey badgers are the most fearless animals in all of the animal kingdom. Surely you've seen that honey badger video on YouTube. It has 97 million views. But kicking badgers out of dens had been bred out of my dachshund by the time we got one back in the 1970s. There's zero way in hell that Fred would have put himself in harm's way entangled with a badger. He was typically only good for knocking over the kitchen trash, digging out the food scraps, and hiding out in the living room under the skirt of our upholstered club chair, polishing off whatever we wasted at dinnertime. As a kid, my brother was a very picky eater. So he relied on access to Fred, lying in wait on the carpeted kitchen floor. Wall-to-wall kitchen carpet. Yes, we're now in the 1980s. Try to keep up. Nightly reminders of starving kids in far-flung countries never fazed my brother. Or my dog. I used to share my popsicles with Freddie while we lounged by our swimming pool in the summer. One lick for you, two licks for me. Repeat. Def Leppard's Pyromania album playing on the stereo and drifting through the open window. The guy who produced that album is a strict vegetarian named Mutt. Freddie would constantly remind me how he found that bit of trivia charming. But Freddie's life would come to an early end. My brother and I were in Germany for the summer, living with my grandparents. My parents, back home, were building a new home, in the suburb of Owasso. Owasa, if you say it like a local. One day, the construction workers had forgotten Fred was there, outside too long in the brutal Oklahoma heat. I think he died of heat stroke. In between Fred 1 and the dog we have today, my other childhood dog was Fred 2, also a dachshund. He was just as honorary as his namesake. He had a good long life and eventually died, peacefully, at home, with my mother by his side. As an adult, I had a beagle, then a red-boned coonhound, then a black poodle, then two greyhound rescues, complete with ear tattoos, impressive racing histories, And real people names, Bill and Thomas. Then a Shih Tzu Poodle Mix, another rescue. Then Cooper, the puppy we have today. We wanted another rescue dog instead of a puppy, but once the pandemic set in, the pickings were slimmer than a dive bar at last call. If Cooper had a Tinder profile, it would read, I'm a rowdy poodle, I'm ready to make puppies, and I'll be an adult in a month. I was named after Cooper Tires. They sponsor professional bull riding events that I watch on TV. I have an underbite. No, I refuse to spend thousands of dollars on braces, just so you won't be embarrassed by my offset smile on family Christmas cards. You do know I'm Jewish, right? I have red fur and a fox like tail. I'm attracted to fellow redheads. I play words with friends. The best scoring word I ever played was tweezing for 176 points. I'm a nudist. I'm authentic like that. When I'm on my back, I'm vulnerable. I stand one foot tall and weigh 11 pounds. I'm even taller on two legs. My breath smells like a grass-fed bully stick named Angus, married Purina ProPlan. When I stick out my tongue, take that to mean I'm hot, like 150-degree asphalt hot on four paws, like Cut my curly fur for me and I'll pay you with a puppuccino. Hot. I'm not big on personal hygiene when it's forced on me. By the time my hairdresser is done with my fur, I usually come out looking like I narrowly dodged death from the grip of a honey badger. I'll never look like one of those frou-frou poodles you see on TikTok. On command... I sit, go down, roll over, fetch, and come. I run, walk, and play ball. Sorry, I thought the Jehovah's Witnesses were here again. They always wonder aloud if Jews would be receptive to their message when they see the mezuzah nailed to the threshold in my front door. I never let them in, but I do eavesdrop. I started hiking in the White Mountains this summer. My goal is to hike all of the 48 New Hampshire mountains, which are at least 4,000 feet. I bagged two of those peaks just last month during a difficult nine-mile hike on the Franconia Ridge Loop Trail. Then, one night, a few weeks ago, I'm sitting in bed looking at my iPhone and I read that Floki the cat just finished hiking all 48. I will make it my life's work to be the first red miniature poodle with an underbite to meet this challenge. To the dogs on Tinder, know that if our relationship eventually turns serious... I sleep at least 18 hours a day, so don't expect me to help out around the house. I'm also into yoga. After every nap, I do downward dog. I'm looking for a non shedding plus one, someone with whom I can share the foot of my king sized memory foam bed. Here are the rest of the pet stories Ed Osgood. And Bella.
1: I didn't know anything about this dog, but uh, before I acquired her, she was a rescue dog from Jacksonville from a former co worker of mine. Her father lived in Jacksonville and found her in the streets, probably four or five months old, and uh, potty trained the dog and uh, house trained, I should say. And um, Jennifer, um, who lived in Tampa, would frequent her dad's house in jacksonville and she grew fond of bella and uh brought her back to tampa and that's where she had bella for about a year and because of living conditions and changes in life uh she couldn't have the dog anymore jennifer went ahead and put out a cry for help and uh I really wasn't in wanting any animals anymore in my life. I'd already had a couple of cats and a couple dogs and, you know, I was really, but there was nobody responding after like almost a week. So I reached out to her. I said, look, I said, uh, bring her over. I will we'll cook out and swim at the pool or whatever. And, uh, we'll see how the dog interacts with the kids. And, um, She brought her over, had a pink bandana on, pink leash, and it was instant love between Bella and the kids. And um, I said, I'll take her. And she cried, I cried, everybody cried. The kids were so happy to have a dog, and it was just uh, the perfect timing. Didn't have to worry about uh, house training or anything like that. She was already chipped, had all her shots. So um, that was the beginning of... A great, uh, just 10 years of fun, you know, living adjacent to a horse farm with cows and all that. Bella would literally go out there and play with the farm animals. Um, And then, uh, you know, uh, as time went on up until recently, my situation changed as well. And uh, I couldn't have Bella anymore. However, I didn't want to put her in a pound or a shelter either. So I reached out on Facebook, and a miracle happened, and Jennifer reached out and said, I'll take her. I want her back after a decade. And uh, that made us both cry again. And uh, so we met uh, across from the Hard Rock in Tampa, and uh, I handed... Bella back to her original owner. And uh yeah, that was a feel good story. It really was. There's so many people are so happy on both sides. Jennifer's family, my family and uh friends as well. Uh it was just uh a miracle basically. I don't uh, I don't know how often that happens, but I'm assuming it's not too much. I guess it was bittersweet. So many memories, I mean, with Bella and the kids growing up, that's all they knew was Bella, you know, whether she was a pain in the ass or, you know, just that fun-loving dog wanting to play out in the yard. And uh, she was family, and it was giving away family. And uh, that's just, I think I became more attached to that dog than any other animal that I've ever owned in my life. So that was a great 10 years, and now I know, I see on Facebook, she is getting pampered. She's got outfits on and everything. She's got two Yorkies she gets to play with and uh, playing in kiddie pools and barking up a storm. So she's probably gained three, four years of her life back just by that. Yeah, I love Bella. Yeah, yeah, I'll always love that dog. There's so many memories. So many times, I wanted to kick her ass, but I didn't.
0: Kathy McKinnon and Shaharazad. So, as a proud cat owner,
2: I'll tell you the story of my beloved cat. Her name is Shaharazad. Her proper legal name is Shaharazad Abdulaziz Khachman Al-Qaeda, because I brought her back from Saudi Arabia. I was over in Saudi Arabia teaching, and I'm a cat lover, so I instantly um, found this cat. When I went to Saudi Arabia, I wanted a cat, and so a, f- a friend who was a school teacher brought the kitten over to me, and we're trying to think of names. And another friend of mine who was a school teacher she said, I always liked the name Shaharazad. And I was like, Oh, I had a student named Shahad, and she was a sweetheart, so I thought, Oh, Shaharazad. I liked how it sounded. And it's actually, Shahrazad was a queen in Arabian Nights, A Thousand and One Tales, because Shaharazad told many stories. And my cat, Shaharazad, never stopped meowing. And I thought, oh my gosh, the name suits the cat, because she would tell me a thousand stories. And so, it stuck. Abdulaziz is a common name. I had a student with the last name, is, with Abdulaziz, Rahman's very... Uh, common name, and of course, Al-Qaeda, because she was just a kitty terrorist. So that's how I came up with the name. But little did I know that that sweet little kitten was, really was a terrorist. And we used to call her Kitty Kaida, because she would attack me. She would attack me in the sleep, in the middle of the night. She'd go missing, she'd be up on the roof, and I'd have to tell people, like, Al-Qaeda's missing, or, you know, I'd go to school the next day and I'd have scratches on me. And they'd say, well, I was attacked by Al-Qaeda in the middle of the night. But then there were also the perks that I got to sleep with Al-Qaeda every night, and not everybody gets to say that. So fast forward, well, I had Shahrazad. I was in Saudi Arabia for four years, and the sweet little kitty would follow me everywhere I went. She'd wait for me at the corner, but maybe she was just being a true terrorist cat and just watching my every move. Um, So I wasn't really sure. I wanted to give her away because she would attack me so much. Then after four years in Saudi Arabia, and I brought her back here, she really became um, Kitty Gandhi by the end of my term in Saudi Arabia. But actually, I'm going to go back to when we were at the compound, she would go missing. And my friend texted me one day that I'm coming over. um, There was a lady ranting on Facebook that, my cat was attacking her girls, and I got this text message. It's like, "Oh my God, Shahar's out, attacked little girls." She's a declawed cat. Like I thought, "Oh my God, how can this happen?" Well, my friend Grace went to get the cat and brought her home, let her into my apartment, and the lady that was complaining was my neighbor. And then we we had. A townhouse, and so she was my next door neighbor in the townhouse, and didn't even come to the door to let me know. And I'm thinking, so my cat scaled the wall was like six feet, and she would go over. Her girls were her cats, so Shahrazad would go into her courtyard and look at her cats through the patio door. And so she wasn't attacking them. She was looking at them, but her cats were freaking out because my cat was in her courtyard. I'm thinking, you're my neighbor. <laughs> Why don't you just go over and get me? But then again, Shaharazah was a terrorist. So now that we came back to New Hampshire, um, I'd let her out because she's an outdoor cat, and uh, she has her little collar on and whatnot, but she would like to introduce herself to all the neighbors. Well, that was fine, except for one. My dear, sweet Shahrazad was bothering this lady's cat as well. And so there was a thing on Facebook about it, and I called her immediately because I was really bothered by it. And we kind of worked things out and said, oh my gosh, we're both cat owners. I'll do anything I can to to keep her away from your cat. But Things started to escalate, that it was just nothing I could do was going to be the right solution. And I finally met the lady live and we, you know, we hugged and we kind of brushed things over. said, you know, if there's a problem, just let me know. Well, about a year and a half later, I get a knock on the door and a police officer was at my door. Uh, Confirmed my name, and I said, Yes, do you own a cat? And I said, Yes. And uh, well, I got a complaint about your cat bothering your neighbor's cats, and I guess this has been an ongoing issue. And I said, Well, no, I haven't heard from them in a year and a half, so I thought everything was fine. And uh, he said, Well, I know there's no laws about cats, but can you please try to keep your cat contained? I said, Well, she's an outdoor cat, and she will be an outdoor cat. But anyway, that was the first time that I ever had police officer come to my house because my cat was bothering. And I did want to say, well, she is from Saudi Arabia and her English isn't that good. However, I thought maybe I shouldn't say that to the cop. (laughs) But since then, because I do have a little yoga business and she loves going to the yoga studio and she really is kind of Kitty Gandhi now. She doesn't attack as much as she used to and and she high fives. Um, she goes by many names. Um, of course, you know, Shahrazad. My grandkids call her Cranky Pants. My son calls her Bucket. My friend calls her Al. But any sensible terrorist cat should have other aliases. And uh, she's a sweetheart. She's 10 years old. And I think all the terrorist moments are, are gone. It's all but good things now.
0: Raccoon Scat I had a pet raccoon, what me and my girlfriend thought would be a great pet. Found it outside on the porch, tiny enough to fit in your palm. And it couldn't even see it. We let it stay in our room. It shat everywhere you could possibly think of. It shat on the counters. Floors, carpets, everything. We started to regret taking it in, but couldn't stomach just throwing it outside and hoping for the best. So we kept it. Well, then it shat inside our brand new MacBook Pro. Inside it. No shit anywhere besides under the keys in the motherboard. We were speechless. It wasn't until we went to bed one night and I woke up in the middle of the night. Something smelled awful. Already knowing he had shat somewhere, I get up, look around, and as I turn on the light, there's shit smeared down the wall and down the backboard of the bed and smeared all over my girlfriend's face. We only had that raccoon inside for a year. Then we let it live outside. It usually came and went and would randomly come back inside. But one day, it never came back. Callie in the Kitchen Several years ago, my husband was home alone with our little dog, Callie. He hadn't heard any noise out of her in a while, so he went from room to room looking for her. As he approached the kitchen, he heard her in there and figured out she was in the garbage. He quietly walked to the doorway and saw her pawing through the garbage, totally oblivious to him standing behind her. He said, Callie, and she instantly pooped right there. No time for squatting. He just scared her so badly that she pooped. So, yeah, he literally scared the shit out of her. Indy Ball My dog Indy only had one testicle which had descended. So I took him to the vet to get everything checked out before the surgery. The vet said to me, Well, only one testicle descended. Here's the other one right here. The vet points near his little peep. If you want to go ahead and try to rub it down while you're watching TV, it will descend and that will make his surgery a lot easier. Plus, we'd only have to make one incision instead of two. I looked at my mom and said, Did the vet just tell me to rub Indy's ball? And then we burst out laughing. Well, I never rubbed it, and the other testicle never descended. I took Indy to a different vet for the surgery, and it was successful, with only one incision. (coughs) Molly Jennings and Jack Frost.
3: Jack Frost was my footless rooster. In twenty seventeen he lost both of his feet to frostbite. He fought for months to survive through the odds. He survived and even thrived. Once his stumps healed, he willingly allowed me to teach him how to walk again. And within a few months he was fully able to walk and fly on his own in his own unique way. He would sit on the couch or the living room floor, cuddled up on a fuzzy blanket with the dogs, while he watched TV, and when he insisted on seeing me, he would fly into my lap from the floor if I didn't get up fast enough, and crow as loud as he could. This was always followed by a happy cluck. He eventually moved outside into his new home with his own flock. He lived to raise chicks that weren't his own. He allowed them to jump all over him and nuzzle into his feathers without much fuss. And when I suddenly brought home a blind hen, he willingly taught her love, even though she would attack him out of fear. Until the end, he loved her, even though Rose sadly lived with us for only a year. He would stand up for his flock and protect them with a fierce crow and strut. He loved to go on walks and squawk at any squirrel and bird he saw, warning me of danger. He taught me how to slow down and bask in the sun with him in the summer. We could have slept outside for hours together if we could. He also allowed me to spread awareness about frostbite and livestock and how amazing roosters can be. And how disabled livestock are life-changing animals because of their amazing resilience. We were fortunate to have worked with a young girl and a whole team of people all the way across the world in Australia to craft 3D printed feet which led us to be on dozens of news stations and magazines and on many social media platforms across the country and across the world. I've met some of my closest friends because of him. He helped me make it through high school when I had trouble in school and making friendships and being bullied. And part of that was because of him, because we were different. I was known as the person with the footless rooster. But because of everything, we became best friends. We were best friends for nearly four years. He got me into an amazing college where I'll be studying animal studies and entrepreneurship. Sadly, though, three days after committing to my dream college, I tragically lost Jack. It was so sudden and probably the most traumatic thing I've ever experienced. That day, he gave me his famous Jack cuddles and had his favorite snack, which were scrambled eggs. Losing him was one of the hardest things I have ever experienced, but I know he loved me, even with everything that had happened. He somehow knew that I was ready to begin a new journey and a life that I dreamed of for so long. He taught me how to be myself and made me the person I am today. Because of him, in the future, I hope to care for more special needs animals just like him. Because if I learn so much from him, there must be much more special needs animals out there that could teach me even more. He was way more than just a rooster. He was my best friend. People ask how a rooster can make such an impact in my life, and honestly, I don't know. He just did. And no one can fully understand how strong our bond was. It was special, and unbreakable, and still is to this day.
0: The Day the Dachshund Dragged When I had my first baby, my pet dachshund suddenly became paralyzed from the waist down and was dragging herself all over the house. We took her to the vet, of course, but the vet couldn't find anything physically wrong with her. The vet said it was most likely a psychological issue, and the dog was mentally reacting very poorly to the new human baby in the house. The paralysis was either a clever gambit on the dog's part to get our attention away from the baby, or it was real but purely psychologically induced and wouldn't require surgery. We ended up curing this paralysis by letting the dog stay with other family members for a week, After not seeing us and the baby for a few days, our dog got over her mental issues and started walking normally again. Feral Friends While I was hunting rabbit, I found my first German shepherd, a pup in the middle of the countryside, starving and half-frozen. I brought her home in my game pouch and slowly defrosted her. She made a full recovery and lived a long life. My first cat was a stowaway on a company vehicle. The field technician had a kitten that was living on top of the fuel tank of his Chevy Silverado. When he would park it in his garage for the night, the kitten would hop down and tear into his dog food bags. Any time he tried to catch the kitten, it would jump back under the truck and he couldn't get it out. I had him bring the truck into the service bay, grab a box and some welding gloves, and coax the kitten out. Chillest cat I ever had. Which made sense, as he'd been riding a vehicle that routinely went off-road and frequently did 80 miles an hour in the oil fields. Carrie Cariello
4: and Wolfie My name is Carrie Cariello, and I have five kiddos. Um, And my second son, Jack, is diagnosed with autism. Um, He's 17 now, but from the time he was about two years old, Jack was terrified of dogs. Uh, Terrified to the point where I was worried he would run in front of the car to get away from one if we saw one on the street. Or actually, his physical reaction was so strong, I worried – I know it's ridiculous, but I worried he would, like, have a stroke, right? So uh, when he was, let me think, seven, eight, well, when he was about nine, uh, we went to this um, water park up north. We'd been there before, and then we always stayed at the same hotel afterwards, and we walked into the hotel. My husband, Joe, was getting all the bags out, and so I had all five kids, and in the center of the lobby was a dog, a man and his dog, and um, the kids got really crazy, you know, like, Mom, Jack, Jack, there's this dog, and... And I said, all right, let's just slow everything down and see how it goes. Because Jack wasn't at like a level 15 yet. He was probably at an eight of, of nervousness. And so the man stood in the center of the room with this dog and Jack just started to circle and tracing his fingers along the walls, which is what he did when he was really anxious back then. And the man, you know, I still can't tell the story without getting emotional I went over to the gentleman and I said, that's my son, Jack, and he's terrified of dogs. And we're just going to see how this plays out. And so the man just started to call out really gently, Jack, this is Gracie, and we're waiting for you. We are here for you. And just over and over, Gracie and I are here. We're just waiting. And so Jack started to circle and circle until he got close enough to this man. And he reached out and he pet the man's hair. (laughs) And then he pet Gracie. And, you know, we went up the elevator and it was one of the first times I thought, oh, I want the world to share this experience with me. I want the world to know that in the smallest moments is groundbreaking possibility." So after that, I went home and I said to my husband, Joe, I think we should get a dog. Now, we have five kids and my husband has two dental practices. And he said, these are his. These are the words that came out of his actual mouth. I have no more love to give. I have nothing left, Gary. I can't take care of one more thing. I cannot come home to something else that needs me. I said, OK, OK, I'm going to take this on myself. So I researched and and I did go through a breeder. Because she had a lifetime return policy. So if things didn't go well, I knew I had a safety net. And and we, um, I chose this dog. And Joe, it was the day before Easter. So most people ask, did you warn Jack? Or did you have him help you pick the dog out or name the dog? And I said, no, because we are not good people. I did not do that. Because I knew Jack would say, no, I don't want a dog. And then what am I going to do? I have to respect that. So we did the opposite of what every parenting autism book tells you to do. And we picked up this dog and we smuggled him in the house. And then the next morning was Easter. And we said, oh, the Easter bunny brought us this dog. And I thought, hallmark moment. This this is going to be a big deal. And Jack said, why would you do this? You know I hate dogs. I mean, and Wolfie was, I think, five pounds. I mean, just a little love muffin. And I thought, oh, God, what, you know, what have I done? It was remorse. It was buyer's remorse, and that was before Wolfie soiled all the carpets. <laughs> you know, it took about a week and a half for Jack, and I, I mean, I have pictures of it where he's reaching through the crate and just touching his finger on the tip of Wolfie's paw, and, and it was really that slow of an opening, of a heart opener, if you will, and then, you know, fast forward, I mean, a, <laughs> there, I, everybody loves their dogs, so I'm just saying the same time-worn phrase, but there has never been a more beloved animal. And let me tell you who loves him the most is my husband, Joe. <laughs> he will call me or text me from work to find out what the dog's doing. and And at the same time, Jack is so attached to him. And he seeks him out truly when he feels himself escalating. He said the other day he felt nervous, and he's convinced. And and, and I'm who am I to say otherwise? He said, Wolfie knows, because he sits by me. So uh, it has been just the best addition, just the best thing that we ever did. And, and uh, we love him fiercely. Michael Cameron Ward and Daisy
0: and Jack and Maddie.
5: Free jalapenos. Mike Ward is a bard of New Hampshire. Every day of his life is an epic. Just last week, he went for a walk in the country and was mugged by a dog. Yusuf Ali El, February 2016. Yes, Yusuf, it happened again. But I met a resolution after my last session of interspecies combat a year ago. Henceforth, the offending beast shall be rained upon with great fervor and immediacy until it is pacified. Thursday afternoon, I walked down the street to deliver some extra jalapeno seedlings to my neighbor. She has two dogs, a pug named Daisy and a 70-pound retriever named Jack. Daisy is not a problem. She does not so much resemble a dog as a small grayish watermelon. Should she become bellicose, she could be easily punted for accuracy versus distance. Jack is another story altogether. I'm not sure why he hates Maddie, but he does. Any dog that will withstand semi-electrocution to leap through an electronic barrier to attack another dog is batshit crazy. Which is exactly what Jack did last summer. This time, Daisy sees me coming. She barks and leaps through the electronic barrier. Then she growls and glares at me from about eight feet away. She keeps looking over her shoulder to her left into her yard. She barks to entice Jack into jumping the barrier, but he isn't coming. The shock collar has been set to its maximum. The bite keeps him inside the electric fence. I walk into my neighbor's yard. This time, Daisy sees me coming. She barks and leaps through the electronic barrier. Then she growls and glares at me from about eight feet away. She keeps looking over to her left into her yard. She barks to entice Jack into jumping the barrier. But he isn't coming. The shock collar has been set to its maximum. The bite keeps him inside the electric fence. I walk into my neighbor's yard. Would you like some jalapeno seedlings? Even though I left Maddie at home, Jack was having none of it. No, Maddie, no problem. He's black. You're black. One's as good as the other. He roared, charged, and leapt, twisting when he reached chest level, "'trying to take a chunk out of my arm. "'The hell you say!' "'I dropped the tray of seedlings. "'Some of them spilled out on the ground. "'I sent a right jab at his head and throat area. "'Then I clenched my fist, crouched, and advanced on him. "'You want me?' "'He growled, backed up, made a few feints. "'I chased his ass around the yard. "'I stopped after realizing that if I caught and killed him, "'my neighbor might not want the jalapenos. "'I thought, I've got to get rid of these goddamn plants.' I was merciful. Thus, the canine was spared. My neighbor yelled at Jack and finally calmed him down. Would you like a six-pack of jalapeno seedlings, I asked. Her eyes were the size of dinner plates. "I'll, I'll take the six on the ground. Renee Griffin and Carter
6: Soft footsteps pad down the hall. Have you seen Fluffy? A child's soft voice inquires. Have you checked Carter's crate? Fluffy began life as a fluffy stuffed lion, but frequent baths and a desire to smell a candle left Fluffy bedraggled and odd-smelling. Neither Xander, our son, nor Carter, our dog, seemed to mind. Most evenings included a search for Fluffy at bedtime, and most nights he could be found in Carter's crate. In fact, I often wondered to whom that smelly stuffed animal really belonged. It was not uncommon to see Carter with a limp, maneless lion hanging from either side of his long muzzle, each whiskered cheek draped across the worn, synthetic, drier, frizzled hide of a child's toy lion. Carter would hide Fluffy in his crate, carry Fluffy off to a comfy dog bed nestled in the living room, or just proudly sit with Fluffy dangling from his mouth. When Xander was young, Carter could find Fluffy in Xander's company. As Xander grew older, Carter learned he could find Fluffy in Xander's bed, tucked in amongst the linens. Even as the soft, tiny footsteps became the loud, awkward slaps of a preteen boy, the occasional search for Fluffy occurred. Years later, Fluffy still lurks in the recesses of my son's room. Carter no longer has the energy to search him out. As a geriatric dog approaching the venerable age of 16, Carter expends only the energy necessary to eat his meals and seek me out. In some ways, I have replaced Fluffy. Carter now searches the house for me, and because he is deaf, he often fails to recognize that I am nearby. Sometimes, We follow each other in a circle until I can put my hand on his back or place myself within his sight. If I allow myself to dwell on this, I begin to cry. But when I think about the many years that Carter treated Fluffy as his own, it brings a smile to my face.
0: Mabel and the Marine I co-own my Basset Hound beagle mix, Mabel, with my uncle who has since passed away due to cancer. Mabel is still alive and is now 17 years old. I have a million stories, but this one always sticks out in my mind. My uncle was an alcoholic, Marine POW, who served in Vietnam. He had severe PTSD and almost never slept. He would drive to his local bar two miles away, driving five miles an hour, shit-faced drunk. He was the slowest driver, even sober, but when he would drink, he would drive even slower. He had eight DUIs in his lifetime. The last DUI sent him to prison. He was driving home from the bar when a cop tried to pull him over. My uncle, being the drunk, stubborn man that he was, refused to pull over, and eventually led the cops on an hour-long slow-speed chase. I'm talking eight cop cars and a helicopter for an old man driving five to ten miles an hour with his basset hound. The cops finally swerved him off to the side of the road. My uncle tried to run, but they got him. My uncle kept yelling, Run, Mabel! Run! Mabel does this zoomy thing where she teases you, but you cannot catch her. She had eight cops chasing her through the cars. She got away from the police and ran to her veterinarian, 14 miles away. That's where they called my mom, who went and picked her up. It's almost like Mabel had some warrants out for her own arrest. And she knew if she got caught, she'd be locked up with her daddy. Frodo's Slave. I'm a dog person. My stepdaughter moved up from Alabama, smuggled her cat on the plane, and then tried to hide it from me at the airport. A few years later, she moved back to Florida for college and left us with the cat, who, for some weird reason, has grown on us. The cat is now 18. When she's out of sorts, The world stops, and we take her to the emergency room, any time, day or night, hell or high water. Just the thought of its old age and the inevitable eventually happening brings tears to the eyes of this lifelong dog guy. Billy Best and Moon and Pete
7: I'm appreciating my ordinary life as I ride the emotional ups and downs of this long season of change. Maybe you are too. My dog Moon died May 31st and I've entered a new phase. He was the bridge between my history and the present. My days feel strange without him, triggering mood swings and melancholy. For a couple of weeks, I was dysfunctional. My treadmill slipped off track and collided. Daily chores, homemaking and domestic partnering stumbled into my ritual of writing and released a torrent of resentment. I know from past experience that this is grief. I had a slow, quiet meltdown. Now I'm in transition and I'm okay, bearing witness to the ordinariness of it all, In our house, the new normal is to think about the worst that could happen and make ready for it. We're not pessimists. We're realists. Realists who just want to have fun. The puppy was something we talked about for months. After Moon was gone, when the right dog popped up in the classified listings, we jumped. He's a standard poodle, just 11 weeks old, part lamb chop, part Satan. His name is Pete, Mr. Pete, Pistol Pete, Petey Pie, Sweetie Petey, Pedro, Pierre, and in moments of human indignation, Peter Joseph, the puppy from hell. If there's a kernel of wisdom in the puppy experience, it's that happiness is both essential and irrational. You don't have to wait for conditions to be perfect to be happy. A puppy is genuinely happy in divine delirium for no good reason every day. Gardening with a puppy is tricky. His inclination to dig and chew isn't always useful. And writing with a puppy is nearly impossible. Putting my patience to the test as the evil creature beneath my desk pulls on my shoelaces. I have holes in my clothes and Scars from the puncture wounds of those mini canines. Occasionally, I release a barrage of foul language. Fortunately, Pete will not pick up the F word and embarrass me by repeating it. You might think it crazy for two people in the latter half of their 60s to get a puppy. But I would say Pete is like a peloton. He's a fuzzy exercise machine that keeps us social. Goal oriented and connects us with community. Right now, the goal is to keep him from snacking on dead things buried in the grass. When Gandhi said, Be the change you seek, I'm pretty sure he was talking about getting a puppy. Pete necessitates living simply, a focus on the basics and mastery of the ordinary. Food, shelter, ecosystem, local people and places. Our parenting skills are in full bloom, and I'm channeling Donna Reed minus the pearls and petticoats. Yes, this is the life I fought hard not to have in my 30s and 40s when I considered homemaking a failure to achieve anything. Now, my goal is to make home a sanctuary. I know home is a thing right now. I'm right on trend with pandemic nesting and climate change cocooning for all of us the future maybe as early as tomorrow has become wildly unpredictable and the threats are many biological safety weather fire drought rising prices supply chain disruptions social unrest public health it's a lot to cope with maybe that's why this little dog is such a bundle of joy His puppy love manifests divine happiness for no good reason every day. When the students are ready, the teacher
0: arrives. Sarah Philbrick and Lizzie This is the story of Lizzie, the petite yellow lab we adopted from a breeder when she was two and a half years old. Our son had just turned two, and we decided that it was time to get another dog. The breeder said Lizzie didn't appear to be the mothering type. They also said she only had two puppies who were very large. Since they were so large, she had a hard time delivering them. They were both stillborn, so they were not going to breed her again. That gave me pause and always stayed in the back of my mind. It didn't make sense. This was a fully trained, wonderfully obedient little girl. Her grandfather was the winningest lab in history, and she was clearly of good stock. She could run like the wind and would play fetch all day long, whether we were in our yard or up at the lake and throwing her ball off the dock. She would sail off the end of that dock with her ears flying. She was such a strong swimmer. I noticed a change in her eyes. It appeared like she was getting cataracts. The vet confirmed that she had PRA, Progressive Retinal Atrophy. They said she would progressively lose her eyesight over the next three to four years. This was heartbreaking. Now I knew why the breeder didn't want her. They had already seen the signs. It was suggested that, perhaps, we get her her own seeing eye dog. A buddy, that she could learn to follow around using her nose. We found a rescue dog from Georgia, another lab. This was Polly, and she was severely overweight, clearly neglected in her former life down south. Lizzie was a bit scared of some of the dominance portrayed by Polly, But we wanted to give it a go, and we felt like Polly probably needed us as much as we needed her. A few weeks into this new family dynamic, and we were coming back from a walk in the woods. Polly found a chipmunk hole in the lawn. She lay down beside it and started howling. I couldn't get her to come inside. When I tried to approach her, she jumped up and started snarling and charging at me like a dog from a bad movie. I ran into the house, shaking, and called my then-husband to see if he would come home. He came right home and finally got Polly into the house. Clearly, there was some baggage that Polly had brought with her and we were just now beginning to see. We decided then and there that we couldn't have this poor old rescue in our house, since our son was very young and we were afraid that something like this could happen again. She could bite him particularly in the face, as he would always lean over to hug both dogs. We also realized the now obvious. Lizzie was very unhappy and scared with this new member of the family. So we got the rescue company to grudgingly take Polly back. I then decided that I would be Lizzie's seeing-eye person. Lizzie was still losing more of her sight, She used her nose to do everything. She used it to feel. She used it to smell. She used it to see. She was the most loyal companion, and she counted on me for everything, especially when she eventually went completely blind. As the deterioration progressed, we ended up putting goggles on her whenever she would go outside. They're actually called doggles. She would poke her eyes with sticks and debris in the yard because she would bend down to smell or touch everything with her nose. One of the first times she poked her eye, it was very serious, and she required surgery. Specialized, expensive surgery with yet another canine ophthalmologist. The surgery was complicated, and she ended up with a contact lens over her surgical site on her cornea and her eyelids stitched half-shut so the sight would heal. She injured her eyes on sticks on other occasions, too. The injuries proved not to be as serious as the first time, and the vets were able to come up with a solution for what they called non-healing ulcers. They would take a sample of her blood and spin it in a centrifuge. After 20 spins or so, they produced a serum with her own blood, which they put in a dropper bottle, for me to take home. It was this serum that I would drop onto her injured eye to heal the ulcer. Amazingly, it worked. She was so patient and so good. She never growled. She never bit. She never barked. She never really did anything wrong in all the years that we had her. I always said that I could leave a steak on the kitchen counter and go to work for the day, and she would never try to get it. She never went into the trash. She never chewed any of our belongings. When she was about to turn 14, I had been treating her for cracked elbows, which dogs can get from lying down a lot. By this time, she was arthritic. I had to bring her outside and slowly help her down each step. One at a time, because she had such a hard time navigating them. She just rolled with everything. We were treating her for these elbow sores that didn't seem to heal. But after a while, the vet determined that what she had was something much more sinister. They thought it was an actual drain from something going on inside her body. And they thought it was probably cancer. She panted all the time, whether from anxiety of not being able to see, or pain. I don't know. That will always bother me, to know that it could have been pain, and I just didn't realize it, because I was so used to her panting. She was so tough and never complained. So we decided that it was time. Time to let her go. She'll always be my best girl, and I miss her every single day. I'd just like to think that she's once again running like the wind and swimming her heart out. She died the day before her 14th birthday. Our family ate cheeseburgers every year for her birthday dinner, and it was my teenage son who insisted that we do that the day after she died. Today's last story is... My favorite pet.
1: My fourth grade son came home with a school assignment to take a survey about people's favorite pets. My wife complied and said her favorite pet is a bird. My older son said his favorite pet is a whale. But my son needed more answers, so he asked me. I said, I don't have a favorite pet. He replied, Come on, Dad, I just need one more. To which I replied, Son, I don't have a favorite pet. He said, but Dad, I can't finish my assignment without more pets. By this point, I'm getting frustrated, but I don't want to come across as a complete asshole, so I answer his question. Son, if you must know, my favorite pet is a dead one.
0: Do you have a compelling story? Or do you know someone I should interview? Drop me a line at diaryofanation at gmail.com. Please tell a friend to listen to. That's how we grow our audience and continue podcasting. Find Diary of a Nation through your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Diary of a Nation. Could you do me a favor? You can help my podcast grow by rating and reviewing this show on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.